have. I got a story for you. It's a boat, a Canadian artist. That's making shit all surreal up in here. But first, today's sponsor. Knock, knock. Who's there? Today's sponsor. Today's sponsor who? Today's sponsor who you just met. We are brought to you by Knock Knock Jokes. Yes. Remember those classic crack-ups from Orange You Glad I Didn't Say Banana to Who Who Let the Owl In? Knock Knock Jokes are the free and easy way to lighten up any situation. Going through an awkward silence? Has the conversation hit a dead end? Is there an argument that's getting out of hand? Bring the energy, creativity, and brevity levels back with a simple and the best part, they're never going to know who's there. It could be snow, Hawaii, canoe, tank, Luke, little old lady, crash, Robin, cows, mustache. The friends never end and the fun never stops. Knock, knock jokes. It's not just opportunity knocking. It's a great giggle too. We are also brought to you by the getting to know you pod do yourself a favor get out of the house go for a nice long drive relax on some country roads and get a little lost while getting to know someone you can hear all sorts of people sharing their stories on spotify itunes iheart google play and you can see when new pods are posted and or message us if you want your story to be heard for the next episode. Just use Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely. And doggone it. My cup of tea. And on today's show, we are getting to know Jared. Jared, my neighbor to the north up in Canada. How is it going? Good, man. It's chilly, but it's, it's good. Is it? So I'm in southern Delaware, man, and today is like... Like bust out the tank top, seventy-five degrees. Go outside and finally get some sun. Um, oh, we we can only dream of that up here. Really? I think they're calling for. Well, up here it's five to ten centimeters of snow tomorrow. I'm not sure what that is in inches. Like two or three inches yeah, of right? snow, I think. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Man, what part of Canada are you in? I am in Western Canada in Alberta. Oh man. Out uh, out on the prairies. Super isolated then, huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah no problem social isolating up here for sure <laughs> yeah has there been any um mandates or any verdict like um like stay in your house only go outside once anything like yeah, that yeah i mean we're still allowed to go outside and maintain that six foot barrier type of thing they're recommending that people stay home obviously and you know grocery store visits once a week and that type of thing has like the mask epidemic hit over there where like everybody's walking around with a mask when they go to grocery stores 
it seems to me they're still kind of up in the air about whether or not that's the best way to go, but it seems like they're starting to lean towards people wearing masks. Okay. But I, they, they're trying not to put pressure on the on the medical mask situation either. So, yeah, right. That um, th- that whole thing. I uh, it's uh, I, I I like the video where the guy made the uh, who was he like the Surgeon General made the T-shirt and rubber band mask. Oh yeah. Have you seen that? Like the dude's a five star no. admiral. He had to feel like such a tool. He's like folding <laughs> he's folding this t shirt like four or five times over and then he gets two rubber bands at the end, puts them on the edges, puts a t shirt over his mouth, and uh made his own mask to stay at you know, to avoid having to purchase like the real deal medical ones that, you know, first responders need. Man, that's wild, eh? Yeah. I I could just picture Trump like forcing him to do it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> standing guy. off camera no doubt just fuck with that glare just waiting to be like you're fired you know the orange glare <laughs> <laughs> his aura all right um and yeah i was what so what has been canada's i guess you can speak for all of canada as their official ambassador am, yeah they have they've given me the blessing to speak for everyone here so yeah how's like the media in on i don't know if you get like the exact same cnn channel that i see and shit or fox whatever but man like I can't believe it's just nothing but 24-7 corona. Has yeah, like... it's kind of it, – it's it's been the same here. Actually, I was talking to my dad about that. There's like You don't hear news about like people robbing banks and stuff anymore. It's just all coronavirus. Right? I don't – yeah. I, I'm wall a... to wall. I mean, it's a – you know, like they say, it's a completely unprecedented situation, so people are super focused on it. Right. All right. Interesting. Um, so I had spoken to someone in London – and they were like, yeah, it's the same exact thing, basically. And I'm like, Jesus, that's amazing that, like, different countries culturally are just, like, having the same exact response. Like, it, like six foot. It's pretty crazy that you can talk to three different countries and three different people are like, yeah, just keep six feet, put on masks, stay home. Yeah, it's, and, and it's, it's, it's the super unfortunate tie that binds, I guess. Yeah, it, to me, it's amazing the, the technology that the world now has to help with that you know, to get the word out, to be, to do the right thing. Um, yeah, absolutely. Even, you know, looking at countries that have now sort of have passed the peak or, you know, just the, the sort of helping out other countries is pretty spectacular, I think. Yeah, I was real worried about that with, uh, especially because, you know, you start sending shit over and put it on boats and you're whatever, shipping it and planes. And then all of a sudden you're like, nah, we want that back. And like, right. what, yeah. what's that going to do to relationships? Um, I don't know, in like two months, three months. You yeah, know? no doubt. Or the hoarding, like the countries, obviously they're having a shortfall or trying to hoard supplies and blocking supply lines and stuff like that too. It, who knows? Who knows what will happen as a result, right? Yeah, but it does seem like most countries are in the position where they want to help if they can, which has been, again, like it's just refreshing that um, a tragedy can kind of bring humanity together. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you see... I think like I just did a, a piece recently, actually, and part of it had to do with sort of seeing what we can be as a species, really, as oh. opposed to what we have been. And, and you know, you sort of wonder what, what the lasting impact of this will be, because nobody, nobody really alive now has ever been through anything like this before, right? Yeah, I heard someone, there was some flu in 1968, one of um Oh, really? Yeah. If, and I, if I was good, it was on a Joe, it was a guest on a Joe Rogan podcast that was talking about, and it was super contagious and it went through America. The guy who was talking on it or speaking about, he had, it was like three at the time. And he was like, huh. I was, he was so sick that it was his earliest memory because of how sick he was. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, but I mean, I had not heard of it. Um, Joe Rogan had not heard of it, so I'm wondering if it wasn't as big of a deal as like, I don't, know, I, like I don't the often. Spanish flu or whatever. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't often think of the Spanish flu, but if someone said Spanish flu, I'd be like, oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Where this right. guy, this guy's 1968 thing, I'm like, yeah, I got no clue, man. I, that's never been mentioned. Huh. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. Um, So you made a piece and uh, that was something, man, I was um scrolling through. I guess, is it stalking if someone agrees to talk to you when you just scroll through their um, IG pages and stories? But yeah. uh, I think it, I think it depends on your intent. <laughs> <laughs> right? So I spent stalker-like time without stalker intent um, checking out your images, and they're trippy as hell, man. Uh, as surreal artists, like, it, it's... Thank you. It, it's kind of mind-boggling. So what was your um, similar as a species? Can you describe it, or is it undescribable? Uh... <laughs> I, I, I made no guarantee when I agreed to do this that I would be interesting so just keep that in mind I, mean, uh, I, I think it's interesting because you don't meet many surreal I like I, I don't commonly meet a surreal artist I don't know if I've actually ever met someone when they I've met different artists but not surrealists like y'all have to be a different kind of breed of yeah. person you know yeah there's there's uh <laughs> we're generally known as a pretty crazy sort of faction of artists with our weird imagery. Right. Yeah. So the piece, like, is it just a melding of like 600 different things or one or two central items? Well, I try like a lot of, in the past, my work has been, you know, it, it tends to get a little more complex where there are a lot of different elements that I'm drawing from, but I found that that's a very difficult way of telling a story. They're like, it, it just gets so muddled when you have too many ideas on one page or one canvas. So now I try to keep it pretty austere, like very little background, and then just one key idea that the the piece is focused on, and then just sort of just sort of step back and and let it happen, as opposed to actually forcing anything to happen. Oh, which is it's almost it's almost like a supernatural <laughs> when it's going really well. It's it's almost like a supernatural sort of experience where I'm not really doing anything at all. I'm just sort of moving a pencil around and whatever, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And I try not to judge it too much while it's happening. Holy shit. That's interesting. So it's, it's like a, you go within yourself kind of, and this, and this thing just comes out. Yeah. When it's at its best, it's just sort of a letting go and letting it flow. And when it's at its worst, it's me trying to like force an idea to come through and and inevitably when i'm when i'm trying to force something to happen it's usually just like god awful (laughs) (laughs) um do you i would imagine actually i shouldn't imagine um most of the time do you feel like your stuff's god awful are you hard on yourself i feel like a lot of artists kind of can be very hard on themselves yeah i think most most creative people are their own worst critic and for me in the past I've, I'm usually pretty judgmental while I'm working. It's like it's easy for me to get sort of bogged down in the details of things where I'm, I'm focusing on a tiny detail of a piece and just working it and working it and working it. And, you know, it tends to, it tends to slow things down and it tends to sort of dull the idea a little bit. Gotcha. So, so it's, it's, I'm getting to the point now where I'm able to, to not judge it while I'm doing it. So, and usually that results in a better work whereas in the past i have been like there's a lot of stuff that i've done that i <laughs> that i really don't like at all 
And then there's, you know, there's the odd one that, that works out. Yeah. It, the way you described it as like, you know, the pen's moving, it's not you moving the pen. I started thinking when, if you become judgmental and that negativity, negativity is a very powerful emotion. And I could oh, yeah. absolutely see it derailing. I will just call it the spirit, the spirit that's coming through, you know, your pencil or, or the, the, the creativity that's coming out. Um, yeah, I could, I could see that as being a real battle. Yeah, it really is. a. I think in any, any time you're creating something, like I say, when it's, when it's at its best, I feel like I'm sort of equal to the, to the pencil or the paintbrush or whatever it is that, that I'm using at that time. And so if I, if I get too involved with it, then, you know, it's, it's just a, it goes off the rails kind of a thing. Right. What was the name of the piece where you were um, portraying our species? Uh, <laughs> or do you, do, you, do you name the pieces? I guess I should ask. Yeah. Oh yeah. So the last piece, so the one that I was referring to is called on a dime. And it was just sort of about how life can turn on a dime for better or for worse oh. and how it's, you know, whether, I think I think there's sort of a tendency for people to want to share the negativity more. Like people have no problem sort of disseminating their problems to whoever they happen to be talking to, right. and sort of hoarding the positive or the you know the when you have abundance in your life, people tend to they want to protect that instead of instead of sharing the abundance and and sort of accepting the negativity without without wanting to spread it around so much. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> no, well, um, so I went and saw a Salvador Dali exhibit and I'd seen his pictures, but I'd never been to an exhibit and the fucking accompanying breakdowns when you were talking about overdoing it in surrealist pieces. I mean, right. you get to like 40, 50 components of him telling stories of like a, the Spanish revolution. And you're like, Jesus, the thought the the amount, not only the creative work, but the thought that goes into like the theme you're trying to get across is uh it's not like you're just painting portraits man you're like oh yeah she was happy today or this this is a pretty flower field <laughs> like, right, right. like it, it really does seem the surrealist people are um they're not as philosophers or storytellers like uh, yeah i you know i think there is an element to i think i think in really good art there has to be that that sort of depth to it like for me i make things that would like aesthetically i make things that would have appealed to the little 12 year old me that went to uh, an art gallery on a field trip with school kind of a thing. The kid would have walked in and said, I want to be able to make something like that one day. But then there's the layers after that. That is the, the narrative of the work, which is, you know, it's my work is more spiritual kind of psycho spiritual freedom type of thing, not getting bogged down in a person's own story and, and living in the moment. Gotcha. Um, man, living in the moment. We're, the uh like inspiration was corona the inspiration to the stop on a dime uh it, i think it it's hard to say really because the image pops into my mind kind of out of nowhere like i have no explanation of people ask where where an artist or where i get my ideas from but there's really no way of explaining that it just sort of appears in my mind's eye huh. but then there's there's just sort of a I, it, it almost writes itself right there's almost uh it's almost built into whatever the imagery is and that just worked. I mean, you know, I, when you see the news and you see these at, at the same time it, it, that it's heartbreaking, it's also extremely uplifting. Like you mentioned earlier, 
where you're seeing these stories of people, you know, coming not not just the frontline workers. I mean, kudos to those people, but also the social distancing thing. Just average people taking those steps in their lives, changing their lives completely for the greater good of their community, and it just sort of it seemed to tie in together with the image that popped into my mind some way somehow. Do you meditate? I do, yeah. I was curious about does that do you find that difficult then because and I'm I don't know if I meditate. I feel like I just think. <laughs> I don't know if I'm like a real <laughs> meditator. But the point of meditating is to kind of not think of anything, right? So do you get like inspirational thoughts that you're trying to like beat back? when you're meditating or do you meditate to try to find inspirational thoughts? No. Yeah. It's more like the best ideas, those ideas, like I said, that pop into my mind's eye, those come when I'm, when I'm able to get to that point where my mind sort of slows down. Like you picture sort of a, like a ceiling fan almost where you hit flip the switch and it slowly, slowly comes to a stop. And then when it stops, finally there's sort of like, it's sort of like an opening to, it's almost like you're aligning with sort of the creative force of life, really. Huh. Not, that, I mean, not that I'm not. <laughs> I would never pretend to be like a, you know, a, someone who could speak for the universe. But... A medium? You're, you're, yeah. you're a creative force medium. <laughs> That's right. I'm a Jedi master. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so like, I, I don't think you need to feel bad about um, feeling that way. Like, I don't, I don't know if you're speaking for all of creation or creativity, but. I think people got creativity in them. Like motherfuckers been doing art since like forever. Right. Like, yeah, I think it's in everyone, you know? Yeah. I think it's, you see it like you see when you're two years old, you're doing finger paintings. Well, that's creativity. And then that's slowly, you know, you're slowly sort of funneled into one particular area of life. And sometimes it's creative, obviously. And sometimes it isn't. Yeah. But I think, I think it's still, it still exists in a person's mind. Oh yeah, for sure, right? Because there's even this, like even just you and I sitting here talking, we're both we're both coming up with new things to talk about. So that's creativity. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I hadn't I hadn't thought of that. Maybe you are the creative guru. You just help maybe me, I am help me to get a realization. Maybe maybe but, I am the voice for the creative spark of the universe. Right, but dude, that's <laughs> dude, that's a great point. If you think of your drawing almost like conversation, a lot of times you're not. Hopefully, you're not going in with like these 15, oh, I got to make sure I say these things or I get these stories out. You just kind of let it happen, right? Yeah. And, and that's an interesting comparison. I never um, heard someone describe art as like almost getting out of the way and just letting the pen go. You know, that's a that's a really good way to look at it. Yeah, it's a strange, it's a strange, <laughs> a really strange interaction. Right. But it's time that's the best, it's the best feeling. I can't even describe it. It's so, it's so like I said, sort of supernatural. Yeah. Surreal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. It really is. Interesting. <laughs> um, so Jared, I was wondering, and I, my formatting is still all messed up on this thing. I never know how to like do the, and I, I, I was kind of telling you before we started recording this whole, like, what's your story. I don't know if it's sticky or if it's something that I just need to work better at um, integrating, but I'm interested. So what's your story? Is it just art or is your story deal with some other stuff? Oh man, this is like, it's like we're on the couch now at the therapist's office. <laughs> well, 
Uh, if you start nice. with your childhood, then yes, you it will yeah, be a therapy. We're going to go deep. We're going to go deep now, Sean. <laughs> um, my story. Uh, well, I grew up in Western Canada, obviously, as we talked about, in a small town called Airdrie. Shout out to Airdrie. What's and... the population of Airdrie? Like how small uh, is small? Well, the population now is about fifty thousand. When my parents moved to Airdrie, I think there were like a thousand people here. Jesus. So what was your yeah. school class like? Like K to 12 in one building? Would you have like five people in your like graduating class? No, I went to two different schools. Kindergarten to grade eight at Muriel Clayton and then high school at George McDougall. And how small was, was that? There were like a thousand people there. Okay. Oh, that's a decent size. Huh? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it wasn't like super small town, like something you see in a Western movie where there's like a schoolhouse with 10 <laughs> kids in it. <laughs> that is yeah, kind of what I was I, picturing. I went to college to be a golf course superintendent, which I was for a very short period of time before I realized I didn't want to do it anymore. Wait, a golf course superintendent? Yeah, a greenskeeper. I was a greenskeeper. Right. Yeah. Is that like a wise job decision in a place like Canada? I'm just thinking, like, how? What is golf season if, like up there, if man? If you like downtime, then it's the perfect <laughs> job for you because you get six months of winter, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was good. You know, there's, there's those three or four months a year where it's super busy. We call those spring, summer, and fall, right? And yeah, I realized, I realized right when I became an actual superintendent that I really didn't want to do it anymore. Oh, man. So I did that for about a year and then I moved on to flipping houses, which was interesting. It was like, it was, I started doing that right before the 2008, like global economy collapsed. Oh, that wasn't just so that, and I guess that maybe that shows my ignorance. That bubble wasn't exclusive to, uh, to America, huh? Oh yeah. The collapse was worldwide, man. Worldwide. Wow. So that was that was fun while it lasted. Now, when you're flipping houses, are you just putting up money, or are you actually doing the work as well, like renovations? Uh, and I was stuff? doing everything. Yeah, I learned a lot doing it, which was good. I bet. So now, when the family has any type of problem with their house, I get to go fix it. Handyman. <laughs> <laughs> um, what yeah, was the right. what was the most you made on one? Uh, four. I didn't hear you, man. You cut out right before. I think you might have intentionally oh, muted yourself. <laughs> uh, it was forty grand. Okay, and what percent yeah. was that? Like a fifty percent profit, or? Oh, geez, I couldn't even tell you. It was so long ago. I don't even remember. Okay. I just remember the dollar value. That was probably fifteen years ago now. Oh wow, forty grand, right. man! And did you just pour it back into another home right away, or did you splurge on yeah. yourself, get like a yeah. Corvette? I'm not really, I'm not really a splurgy. I bought a brand new fishing rod. That was exciting. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we, we just kept reinvesting right until there was nothing left to invest. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. But what? it's all, it's all part of it. Yeah. What made the um, business dry up? Uh, well, the global economy collapsing really was the, that collapsed and this is an oil town. So the oil kind of collapsed as well at the same time. So. It was a recipe for disaster. Gotcha. So was it more that people weren't looking to buy or was it that you couldn't sell at the price that you had above the price that you had bought for? Uh, well, a little bit of 
a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. People weren't looking to buy because of the the job losses in the oil industry, and also there were just no no profit margin anymore. Gotcha, man. So two we, two somewhat crappy careers so far, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. After that, I decided I didn't want to be in charge anymore, so I went and worked at a warehouse. And then I realized that I did want to be in charge. Then I was quickly fired from that job. That's the first first and only time I've ever been fired in my life. Oh, man. I was working at a warehouse loading stuff onto pallets. It was a McDonald's warehouse. So we're loading up, like, the bags of pop that they put in the machine at the restaurant and stuff like that. Oh. Shipping it out. I was not... Uh, not cut out for that type yeah. of environment. You were just t- trying to tell people how to do it better, or you were trying to like make like projects with I, the boxes. I was super slow. Okay. And I think my mind, my mind is just not cut out for for the cog in the machine kind of lifestyle. My creative brain was just trying to explode out of it all the time. Gotcha. I can't be here, man. Right. I need to make paintings of fish with mohawks or whatever dude i've often wondered about people that have like a uh, monotonous like like factory jobs or when there was that whole thing down here about um bring back the factories bring back the factories i'm like dude that that just seems like a terrible way to spend eight hours a day right just like constantly going around this like a hamster wheel doing the same thing over and over again yeah it was not easy to do. Kudos to the guys that are able to do it and enjoy it. Yeah, no doubt. I guess some people just like the predictability, simplicity yeah. of it. You know, like you yeah. just know what it is. You leave it there. Yeah, absolutely. So when you got fired, was it like real quick or was it like a sit down and like a whole make you feel terrible about yourself thing? How did the firing <laughs> go? It was. A, it's funny because it was a sit down. But I feel like I had a smile on my face the whole time because I really <laughs> did not want to be there anymore. So it was just like sweet release. Gotcha. <laughs> Man. And then so do you claim unemployment after that? Or what do you do when you get fired in Canada? Yeah, you can go on EI, which is what I did. And then it was at that point where I kind of, you know, I like I said, I had done the golf superintendent thing and the real estate thing and the warehouse thing. And I was just like, what the hell am I going to do now, man? So I thought, I knew that I had a bit of a talent for art. I could remember, like, I could sort of think back through my entire life where there had been instances where people were like, hey, you know what, that's pretty good. When I was a little kid and right through high school, and and it was either that or, like, actually playing golf, which if you're going to play golf, you need to have some kind of financial backing for that, which I didn't. So it was much much cheaper to just go to an art supply store and buy like a set of paintbrushes and a couple of cheap canvases and just see if I was able to do it. And then we were off to the races. I was living with, I had a roommate at the time and he was, he was just like the best guy. And I just like, I set up like my easel in the living room with like this massive work light and just started painting away. And then that like, that's, you're that good that it's like self-sustaining it's career sustaining. Uh, well, <laughs> no, <laughs> No is the answer to that. Remember when you asked me to do this podcast and I said, I don't think I'm interesting or successful enough to be doing a podcast. That's kind of what I was aiming at. So there, <laughs> there have been times where it has been, where it's been really good. And it's just sort of, 
it's just like riding a roller coaster, man. It's, yeah. it's one day, one day you're selling paintings for thousands of dollars and the next day you're eating craft dinner for a week in a row. Jesus. Yeah. How, how do you deal but with it's, the, uh, it's, uh, it's worth it. Well, I was gonna ask, how do you deal with the, um, the unpredictability? Does it screw with you or do you enjoy like the challenge of trying to figure out how to like navigate it? I think in the start when you, when you're coming out of, when you're coming out of something that's reliable, like that warehouse worker we're talking about, where it's something that's reliable every single day, you go to work, you know where your paycheck's coming from, your job security is there. Right. And when you, when you first leave that, there's that feeling of, holy shit, what have I done here? Right. <laughs> because there's zero dependability at all. And then at a certain point for me, like when I, when I decided to, to pursue art, as a full-time career, I sort of aligned with something that I, I couldn't have seen coming at the time, which is that it was, it's just like a, you know, on a runaway bus towards spirituality and sort of questioning my own existence or my place in the universe. And part of, part of that is embracing the unknown. And it's difficult to do that at first because you're so used to seeing what's coming and so when you first step out of that sort of structure of that framework, it's, it's terrifying, but then you begin to learn that there's this sort of cosmic dance going on where not knowing what's going to happen is the most exciting aspect of it. Right. Like when you, well, it's almost, it's almost like staring at a blank canvas or a blank page, right? You don't know what's going to be on there, but you know that something is going to be there eventually. And hopefully if you, if you're working the right way, it's going to be something that people like or that speaks to people, you know? something hopefully you're going to make something that's nice to look at <laughs> that's right? the name of the game that's at the aesthetic. end of the day or at least uh make i don't know if it has to, i guess nice is a way to put it i was almost gonna be like man just interesting to look at i find like um we'll go to different cities and look at different you walk into like different art galleries and whatnot and some people like try to make nasty shit just to make it interesting and it like it doesn't look good but you're like dude that's an interesting concept it's an interesting take on whatever that thing used to be. Right. Yeah. I mean, art at its best is, is that it's that thing that's going to sort of shift your perspective and, and get you thinking. Right. Yeah. So you, did you do any like formal art training or are you just kind of naturally talented and you just keep grinding your own acts? Well, when I was about 11 years old, <laughs> I took a cartooning <laughs> class <laughs> at Alberta college of art and design. I did that on Saturdays. Wait, wait, dude. At 11 years old, you're taking a college-level class? It wasn't a college-level class. It was for, like, 11 and 12-year-olds or whatever. Uh, Okay, I thought you were, like, a prodigy. I was like, holy shit. Oh, no. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) But, no, I don't have any real, like, formal art training outside of, like, high school art class type of thing. I just, you know, one day... I picked up the first thing I tried was was like drawing with chalk pastels, and then I was like, "Well, if I'm going to be an artist, I think I better learn how to paint because to me, art equals painting for some reason." And so I went and, like I say, got some cheap cam. Actually, the first thing I painted was a pair of shoes, and I did a comedy shoe and a music shoe. So the music shoe was like Jay Z and the Beatles and stuff, and the comedy shoe was like David Letterman and John Stewart and all the comedians. I like Chris Farley was on there. And I was like, man, it turned out pretty good. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if I can do this on a canvas. And so I did. 
why um what was the connection comedy shoes and um like why put people on the shoes i don't know uh, i guess my like my the people that influence my work or my life the most are comedians i love comedy and i obviously everybody loves music but i find that it uh, outside of actual like contemporary artists that music and comedy are are the biggest influences on what I do. Huh. When I first started, when I first started painting, I was trying to paint things that were that were still art, but they were that were a little bit funny, without being like a comic, you know. Gotcha. What um, what type of shoe was it? Like a Converse, an Air Force One? Uh, no, it was like a. I bought this pair of white. <laughs> I, they were like white kind of i don't even know what you would call them they look kind of like dad shoes yeah <laughs> and i was like i don't think i can pull off this pair of white shoes so uh, i'm gonna put something on them to make them less white oh <laughs> got you got you dude that's um i don't know up there but like kids down here buying air force ones or you know you get like a white pair of vans and um right yeah you know, cust- drawing on it customizing it themselves i've noticed that's been a big thing like in the past year yeah, that's cool. You see it on like a lot of like a lot of athletes doing it too, or hiring people to do it, I guess. But like getting their cleats painted up, or right, basketball players do it too. It's cool. Do you still have the painting or the sneakers? I should. It wasn't a painting, right? You did it on the sneakers themselves. Yeah, it's on this. I do have them somewhere. I'll send you a picture of them. Yeah. When we're done. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see. Um, so that's the pair of shoes that sparked what is the surrealist Jared now, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that started 10 years of starvation and creativity. <laughs> well, you have like, right? Like, don't you kind of have to suffer to be creative? What do you think that is, man? Like the link between being creative and suffering? Oh, man, that's a... Uh, I don't know that you have to suffer. I, th- I think that for most people who are living a creative life or trying to you know, build a career on their creativity. It's so, it's so random what people are going to be interested in, right? Yeah. Like you have, well, we'll take a fellow Canadian. We'll take Justin Bieber. You know, he's a kid playing a guitar on YouTube. And of all the millions of videos on YouTube, somebody finds that one of that kid. And now that kid is super successful in the music industry, right? Yeah. So it's, I think it's a it's a combination of of being free in in your creativity and not trying to chase whatever is popular so that you can make a buck and being true to whatever whatever flows through you and also you know getting your name out there as much as you can like the, the doing a podcast is not something i would ever have <laughs> chosen to do it's it's like a massively uncomfortable thing for me to talk about myself so you have to kind of step outside of of your comfort zone a lot in order to be successful and i think a lot of artists have a hard time with that because it is such a it's such a sort of introverted way of living a lot of artists aren't like the most like boisterous outgoing people. And then you have like a Salvador Dali where he's just like a crazy lunatic marketing machine. <laughs> what? See, I don't know too much about him personally. Was he like, he was just a, a pimp to his art. Sort of. Yeah. I don't know if it was just inherent in, in, 
his personality or if it was just he was really driven to be a successful artist but some of the stuff that he did was just like <laughs> actually i remember Rand, i was watching a mike wallace interview from like 1965 or something like that and he was interviewing salvador dolly and it was barely even coherent what he was talking about and at one point in the interview mike wallace just like turns to the camera and does an ad for parliament cigarettes for some reason, that struck me. He's smoking a Parliament cigarette while he's conducting the interview with Salvador Dali. Right. He turns away from Salvador Dali and talks about the clean, satisfying smoke of a Parliament cigarette. <laughs> but I digress. Anyways, a lot of artists, yeah, are, are, you know, they sort of live in the dark corners of society in various basements and warehouses around, around the world and make their art and then... I include myself in that. I really have a difficult time marketing because it's just not in their personality. What, um, see now I want to, I'm wondering like, what's the correlation in that then? So like, is it because creative people almost want to spend more time with the creation than with people? I, I, don't, I don't know. It's in, it would be interesting to, to do like a survey and find out, you know, if it's the chicken or the egg, if it's the creativity that sort of isolates people or if it's the isolation that leads to the creativity. Right. I don't know. Yeah, because, I mean, I've That's heard of, you know, like musicians and whatnot, um, like, you know, they go away. You, you, you find a house, you find an island, you, you find a corner, and you just stay there and produce. You don't want to be around yeah. things. You don't want to distract. Um, which yeah, actually, I guess, goes like with your thing, man, when that pen's flowing, you don't want to get in the way. So... You gotta get yeah, especially now it's very hard to not get distracted. It's very hard not to just like pick up your phone and start flipping through Instagram or whatever instead of staying in that mindset or or procrastinating. You know, I've got my sketchbook open to a blank page right now and it's easy to just sort of it's easier to distract myself than it is to try and meditate my way into that headspace and and let it start flowing. Huh. Yeah. It's uh. Do you try to keep some sort of schedule, like nine a.m.'s meditation time, eleven peanut butter jelly, or? <laughs> I mean, I do love peanut butter and jelly, but no, I'm a very, <laughs> I'm a very anti, not anti, I guess, but I really don't like planning things out at all, which, in one sense, is good, but there are also times where that's very, very detrimental. Where you know, your girlfriend wants to go out for dinner or whatever, and <laughs> there's just no no getting me to plan anything at all so you look at do you look at time like as a noose or why is that i don't know i think i think if you're too regimented that that limits the flow of of ideas right. it limits the it limits the opportunity for interesting things to happen in your life it limits the limits the variety of things that you can experience if you're too militant about what you're doing every day to a degree it's it comes in handy obviously you need to be able to make a dentist appointment or whatever or make a dinner <laughs> reservation but <laughs> yeah dentist appointment everyone loses all artists have bad teeth because they can't keep their dentist appointments that's right <laughs> man what was um what was one of the trippier places that your mind went to and you were kind of shocked that you went there Oh, that's a good question. I don't know that I've done anything really shocking. I remember one time I, (laughs) 
this is going to be some shocking news from some of my family members, I think. But one time I did like a handful of mushrooms just to see kind of where I would go. Oh, nice. And it was, <laughs> it was, uh, I don't remember a lot of it, but it was really freaky, man. I remember laughing so hard that I thought I was going to die at one point. <laughs> Do you remember what caused you to laugh? No. No. I, it seemed like there was no cause at all. I just like burst out in this laughing right. fit and I, I thought I was going to suffocate myself. And you know what? No really great ideas came from it. Although afterwards, I did have like this moment of clarity that all of the problems that I was having in my life were just sort of illusions that I created in my own mind. And I was trying to find answers to those problems that I was creating in the same mind that created them. Oh, how do you not turn that into some piece of surrealist art? That that sounded fucking cool, man. Oh, man, that's the that's sort of the common theme of everything that I do is that free freedom from that mind that makes those problems. Where were you in life when you did the mushrooms? Like warehouse jobs, um, struggling artist. Uh, Do you remember? It, it was right at the end of a 11 year old long... art lesson. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Me and a couple of the kids from class went out behind the art college. And... Just open up the lunchbox. It's like, no, no, That's no, no, right. no. This is what I have every day for lunch. It's fine. It's what my mom packed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no i did him i was right at the end of i was in a long relationship for about five years or so oh. and that had ended and my life was just sort of like really up in the air and i didn't really know what i was going to do and where i was going to go and so i was talking to a buddy of mine about it who knew who knew quite a bit about about mushrooms and how they use them to treat like ptsd and people who are you know have terminal illnesses and stuff like that and so i thought what the hell i'll give it a shot i've never done I, i've been asked a lot since i started making art if i'm on like acid or whatever while i'm doing it and i never have like i don't smoke weed or anything like that and so i thought what the hell i'll give it a shot see what happens and, and so i went out into the into the wilderness with my brother-in-law and no, no shit, dude. You actually did the I'm going out in the wilderness on mushrooms thing? You didn't just, like, hang out in your apartment? No. <laughs> no, I went out into the woods, you're man. You're fucking into, psycho. Jesus. Do you you should have <laughs> – the fact that you're not missing a limb from a bear fucking you up you know what? is the funny amazing, thing about, dude. The funny thing about that is we went – me and my brother-in-law and my sister went camping at this one spot that's just sort of like – out here we call it crown country. It's just, like, free camping and – you can go wherever you want type of thing, off-roading stuff like that. And so we went to this one spot, and then two weeks later, me and my brother-in-law went back out there to do the mushrooms. And in the week in between that, a guy was attacked by a grizzly bear, and he, like, <laughs> fought off the grizzly bear and drove himself to the closest town. They had to, like, medevac him into the closest hospital, but he was attacked it was like 300 yards down the bank from where we had camped. So oh, you're right. I'm lucky to be here today to have this conversation Dude. with all of my limbs. Actually, what would have been awesome if like in your mind, there would have been like 2000 squirrels that just fucking acted like you were the nut of all nuts. <laughs> See, now that's surrealism. Now we've got an idea, Sean. Now we've got an idea. We should get you a paintbrush and a canvas. Jesus. I wish, dude. I wish I could fucking... Um, honestly, that's one of the few things that... And it's not that I hate you. It's just my jealousy for your <laughs> skill is like almost visceral. 
I'm like, how Believe the me, fuck I does it come that is natural? The compliment. Dude, seriously, like, how can it just be that natural for some people to fucking make lines and curves and depth like it's nothing? And, yeah, you know, no, I can I barely really... fucking write a word that people can read on paper, you know? But you have your podcast, and that's creativity right there. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, and I, I think that's it, too. You just try to, I think everybody, it's not like you have to stay in your lane, but everybody definitely does have a lane. At least one, right? Like, everybody's yeah, fucking absolutely. has something. Everybody's got something that they can, like, whether you make a, I don't know, whether you make the best pretzels or you're like a car guy or whatever yeah. it is. There's always, there's something that everybody has to offer to the rest of the people on the planet, you know? So I, I want to ask about the mushroom trip a little bit more. So like, cause well, I'm, I'm wondering oh, like, this is so bad now. Did you produce? My family is going to listen to this. They're going to be like, Oh my God, we've lost Jared to drugs. <laughs> Come back, Jared. You immediately get calls and you know what you should do. I'll tell you when I post it. And then for the next like 12 hours, just start walking around the woods. <laughs> just, just be like, it just took me back to a place when I listened. I had to find it again. <laughs> Turn your phone off, but let like the GPS be there, and they can just start fucking tracking you as you're oh wandering. Oh my god! God, that would be glorious. Um, uh, no, I'm wondering, like, did you um produce or like try to create anything? Did you guys like write stuff down? Did you take videos so that you'd look at yourselves as fools later, or? You just fucking walked no, out there, man. took a handful of shrooms, and was like, let's see. Yeah, it was more of the second thing. I don't think I would want to have any record of that. Gotcha. That anybody could find someday, like my eventual children reading my journal about the time their dad was like Back. chasing after chasing after rabbits in the woods, climbing trees, and running around with his boxer shorts on or whatever. Yeah, Tr- trying to put the boxer shorts on the rabbit. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like, you're, you can't be naked. All right. <laughs> Man. Well, no, because I guess I was thinking like if you're taking them to see what like the what it does for creativity, which I feel like is almost pretty common where people try to get into these psychedelics to get oh, to a yeah. different layer of realization. Right. Like that's part of the appeal. And so I wonder, like, try to trying to record that so that later on you'd be able to be like oh yeah 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 yeah, that was the thought okay my mind went here now let me try to uh apply it or put it into something that's right, what i was wondering right. yeah if, if that was like it wasn't really my intent to do it to stir up creativity i was more focused on going a little deeper into you know what my life was which i mean that could definitely have been a side effect of it Right. But I think if I if I were to do that again with that intention, I would definitely bring some kind of recording device, or even just write it down, you know. Yeah. To see just to see what you come up with. Yeah. Well, dude, the fucking in looking at some of the pictures that you're doing surrealism wise, like how fucking much deeper could you go down the hole, man? You know, if like a couple <laughs> paintbrushes, if you had paint in your hand or paintbrush in your hand, like wow, that uh. It'd be what if it was just like real normal, like then when you're on trip and it just becomes like right. regular portraits, you know, lose my supernatural powers. No doubt. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you ever. So you told me about the mushroom trip. I don't think you ever told me something that tripped you out that you produced or that you realized. Like, um, I guess maybe shocking is the wrong word, but where you were kind of surprised that you had this thought or this feeling. I think what what I would say to that is that I think that 
like I'll produce a piece of art with a certain idea in mind or a certain intent behind the work. And then I'll go back, you know, a week later, or even years later, and I'll be able to see something that was, that sort of leaked out of my subconscious mind that I had no intention of actually putting into the painting. Then I'll be like, man, I, that's such a clear picture of where I was at that point in time. And that's sort of surprising, I would say. Like, like what? I don't think, I don't, I don't think you could really be creative without that, without something of who you are seeping in there kind of accidentally. Huh. It's almost like a, like a Rorschach blot, you know, when the, yeah. like the, they show you the ink blot on the page and they ask you what you see. It's, yeah. it's kind of like that. Well, so that's, I was actually thinking that dude. So like, I'm wondering, is it really the creativity that leaked out or are you just in a place where like in 10 years, if you relooked at it, would it look the same or would you yeah. see it differently? Cause of where you are in life versus where you were when you made it. That's a, that's an interesting question because there is that it's sort of, it's sort of like a historical document of your life. But at the same time, that's why I actually, I really like talking to the, like I do like live painting events from time to time. Oh, no way. Where I can just sort of talk to people that happen by. I'll be, it'll be like at a market or I've done it at a coffee shop before where people just, you know, they come by and you have a conversation with them and they're, they're telling you their interpretation of what you're doing. And it's, it's at times completely off the map from where my intention is. And so it's the most interesting thing to see sort of just in the, in the sort of microcosm of it, of what I'm doing. But the idea that, what an artist is making is not really just their idea. It's the idea of the person that's looking at it too. So the person that's looking at it is creating it as much as the person who made it almost does it, actually physically painting it. Do you get super pissed off when they don't get it? And you're like, no motherfucker. It's about hoarding. It has nothing to do with children. <laughs> and that's right. I have yelled at so many people. <laughs> because they just don't understand man <laughs> no no i don't uh i don't really i don't really expect people i mean like i said earlier i'm just trying to make something at the end of the day that's that's nice to look at which is maybe a little bit of an understatement i guess but at the end of the day i'm trying to make something that people enjoy at the very root of it if somebody looks at it and says man that's cool and that's all they get out of it, then that's cool by me, you know? And if there's okay. more, like if we get into a deeper conversation, then that's just the, that's the most rewarding part of the entire thing, I think, beyond any any type of monetary value that I might receive, although that's fine too, you know? I'm more than happy to accept people's money for my art. No, no doubt, donation, donation link attached. That's right. <laughs> Virtual tip towel. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, so when you're doing these shows, do you, bring in a finished product or are you actually making one as people are walking by and you just hope that while you're doing this in public, people chit chat with you? Uh, I do both. Like I'll do an art market where there's all have like prints for sale or I'll bring some originals and throw those up on a wall or whatever. Okay. And then there are times where I'll just go to a park and just set up my easel or my sit in a coffee shop with my sketchbook and just people, you know, they'll come by and take a gander at it. And some people will have the, 
the balls to strike up a conversation and say, Hey, that's pretty cool. What's it, about? what's it all about? Kind of a thing. Yeah. And I was actually going to ask that. So to go super stereotypical, the Canadians being the politest of the polite, right? <laughs> so like, is it rude to come up to an artist again, not only are you the Canadian spokesman, the spiritual guru. Now you are, what would the title be for artist spokesman? We can't repeat it. Uh, announcing for artists? No, that's terrible. We'll work on the title. But now you're going to speak for all artists. Is it rude to come up to you while you're sketching? Or do you think most artists are like wanting to conversate about what they're sketching? Uh, I think it depends on the arts. I love it. I love talking to people while I'm making stuff. And I think I think maybe, you know, for some artists it might be a distraction. But I really love those. I really love those conversations. Okay. And is that pretty, would it be common? For like people to come up to you, or do you think Canadians are just so darn polite that they don't want to disturb you? Uh, for the most part, depending on the setting, I think. Like if I'm out in a park where there are a lot of people around, then I think people are less hesitant to to sort of stop by and chat. But if you're if you're in a more like private setting, like a coffee shop or like at the library or something, then people are a little more hesitant to stick their nose in and say, "Hey, interesting." Gotcha. Who's Who's one of the unique, I guess would be a good word, unique clients that you've sold to? Like, do you get to like actually meet people and like they're outlandish or they're just ordinary, something speaks to them? What's your clientele like? That's kind of all over the map. There's, I mean, there's sort of a, I mean, I have my demographic, which is, I would say it skews a little bit younger, but I've sold to all different types of people, really. I remember I, so I sold to a couple out in Vancouver and they were just the coolest guys, like the coolest, <laughs> they, they had like that, that sort of joie de vie where they're so interested in a, all different kind of stuff. They were going into like a car rally and they're into photography, I think, and stuff like that. It was just really, really cool to get to know them a little bit. And it's nice. It's nice to, you know, you see that sort of breadth of people that you're, are interested in my work, but I also get to experience a little bit of them too, you know? How did you describe them? Joie de vie? Joie de vie. They have that joy for life. Oh. Yeah. I... Very, very rich life, I would say, those guys. Not monetarily, but just like, you know, like a full life. Yeah. Because they're just into a bunch of stuff, huh? Yeah. They're all into all kinds of different stuff. Huh. I've never heard the joie de vie. Is that like a common saying or is joie that just like vie. French? Uh, I think it's a common French saying, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's the liger. It's a little bit of both. Man. Oh, dude. So I, I, I guess I didn't want to just talk about art. Um, talk about you unless you are art. Um, <laughs> what's something else we should uh, know I about think, you, man? I think that's going to be my new slogan, actually. Jerry Champagne. I am art. <laughs> It'd be, I mean, it's, it, it could be catchy, right? Depending how how it's put, how it's mild, only really mildly arrogant. I think <laughs> people like that, though, right? It's to to be famous. Don't you kind of have to be that like arrogant? What's confident? What's the difference between like confidence and arrogance? You know the line. Right. Yeah, is. yeah. Um, but anything else that um, I don't want to pigeonhole you as the guy who gets fired from mundane jobs and does art. <laughs> Um, uh, you want to you want to know something interesting about me? Yeah, 
I promised you there is nothing interesting, though. That's the thing about this. No, well, it's... We're lucky that I'm able to form full sentences here of coherent words. I think they're coherent anyway. Dude, they're definitely let alone, Let alone tell you something interesting about myself. Dude, I think it's just reflecting on the process of how you get super creative and not um uh, again because just looking at art a lot of times people like art that's like a portrait of something that's recognizable and you're creating shit that really has to take people a little bit of time to figure out what to recognize in it you know and it, it's to me it's next level so getting into that process alone was interesting for me well thank you um, but yeah it is it's uh for me it's it's been it's been a spiritual experience experience yeah let's talk about that why do you think the art's spiritual i think that just because you know life is creative life is creativity life is change you know everything is constant even you know you look at your kitchen table and there's like vibrating molecules moving around in that table yeah that's always tripped me the fuck out i still can't wrap my head around it yeah, the whole thing is energy. All existence is energy, and when you kind of align with that, you start to you start to. I don't know. When I look back now, it was inevitable that it would lead me in that direction. I, did, I had no idea that that would be the way that it would go when I started. So it's it's it's. I don't know. It's really, it's a trip, man. It's really a trip to see. You get to see sort of beyond the illusion of, not only life outside of you, but the the illusion of yourself too, all the things that you thought you were and all the things that you thought you should be all the things that you thought you were. And none of it is really true. It's all just, it's all just a bunch of thoughts that you have in your mind. And, and that's where art sort of took me into that realization. So what was something you thought you were that art helped you to realize you actually weren't? Uh, well, <laughs> this is where we go a little off the deep end, Sean. Um, everything. Everything that I thought I was, whether you think, whether I thought I was Jared Champagne, even let's look at that. And someday, long, long, long time ago in 1983, I was born and somebody started saying the word Jared at me. And they said it enough times where eventually I started to say it to myself. And then the little voice in my head started to say it to me throughout my daily life. You know, it's not really, I'm not Jared. Somebody just decided that that sound was going to be attributed to my human form but it really has no bearing on anything to do with me at all and you can look at your job the same way or whatever it is you happen to be doing it's something that you're doing but it's not anything to do with your identity huh so well no I, i'm not i guess i'm trying to think i i'm not I guess you do think like there was that one joke, like it was like Sinbad, the comedian, like, so like whoever somebody was talking about, I'm like, man, you fucking name your kid Sinbad motherfucker's going to be a comedian or a pirate. Like you're pigeonholed, right? He's got two <laughs> options in life. Right. But like for like Samantha's out there or Roxana's like, what, do you think that's pretty common where people feel their name is actually their identity? I think your name is sort of the bowl into which you place things. Your name is very, I mean, it's a very sort of abstract thing, right? If we look at, say you're a doctor, you're not, you perform the duties of a doctor, you went to school to learn how to be a physician, but in any given moment, you're not really a doctor. 
you're just a human form doing whatever it is that you're doing but it has no it has no no real definition i mean you can define what a doctor is but as far as how it defines you it really doesn't huh. and do you take people that... go ahead I think people think they need to collect all of these things and then once the basket is full, that's fulfillment. But fulfillment really comes first and then, you know, the basket, the things in the basket just become, you be able to begin to be able to see those things for what they are rather than how they apply to you and your personality or your persona. Do you think that's an ego thing or a status thing when people are doing it? I think that status and ego, status is ego. Status, status is something that the ego seeks. And then the rest of the things are all the things that the ego thinks that it is. And you are the thing that allows the ego to exist, I guess. Yeah, right. Like um, the host, right? So the ego would be the parasite living off of the host. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Yeah, that's exactly right. Man. And so is that... Do you look at that good or, or bad, or do you just look at it like people need an awakening? Um, no big yeah. fucking deal. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> like fucking take it, it or leave no, it. I don't give a shit. It is no big fucking deal. Oh, uh, you know the awakening part of it is. I I would not consider myself to be an awakened person necessarily. I have like moments of it, but I think that I think that the the whole point of all of this is to see past that see past the constant looking for something other than what you've already, what you're currently experiencing. Be where your feet are. Yeah. Be where, just be where you are, be doing what you're doing without any, without any concern for the fruits of your labor or what people are going to think about what you're doing or how it applies to what you thought you were supposed to be. When you have those moments, what's that feel like? When you have, like you said, you had an awakening moment here and there. Oh man, it's it's that, indescribable. It's really and in, truly indescribable. Uh, just like just, uh, I, I don't know. I guess just that, pure, pure. I guess I think would be the best way to describe it. Oh. You, there's no no sense of needing anything at all, and just like it's sort of it's sort of like life in Technicolor. I guess you know everything just sort of becomes amplified. The colors of things and your senses almost become heightened because you're more aware of where you are and what you're doing as opposed to you know your mind carrying you elsewhere and just sort of like partially being aware that you're you're sort of exist right here now but i'm going to think about this other thing work or whatever it happens to be yeah and you man, this is where my mind went with this is if so do you feel pe- part of what people are here on earth for <laughs> is to like discover or to kind of have like that awakening. I do. Yeah. Right. I, so if, I honestly do. Yeah. So if it's part of what's in you and if it's part of what you're supposed to discover, why is avoiding it so fucking popular? I think it's just, it seems, it seems like, I mean, we're, I don't know that it's, it's really, that it's super people are super aware of that you're just sort of taught that this is what you need to do to be a fulfill, fulfilled human being housewife so it's, kids it's, it's housewife not, kids think, kind of stuff like um 
life is yeah. good if you have two cars and whatever a retirement plan. Here's how I here's how I sort of chalk it up. Every person is dealt. Was that a pun? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, but now it is. <laughs> okay, so every every person is dealt a hand uh, of cards, and you're you're dealt your hand from other people's shitty hands, right? Like your parents have been taught to live life a certain way, and so they they deal you cards from that, and your teachers and your friends and the media, all of these influences. You each give you a card in your hand, and then you that becomes your persona, and you live life through that. But most people aren't aware of that, right? Like, a lot of these things are handed to you subconsciously. Your parents may have said, you know, your parents might have told you that uh, what you think about yourself is more important than what other people think. But ultimately, we live in a world where that isn't the case at all. You know, you're not you're taught that you're supposed to climb to the top of the path, climb to the top of the ladder and have more than your neighbors and stuff like that. So I don't think I think a lot of people aren't really aware that they're living their lives through this sort of this ego filter. And when you remove that filter, you really begin to see that you were fulfilled to begin with and you didn't need any of those things. If that makes any sense at all. No, it, it, it does. And I guess I'm always, not always thinking, but I've, I've thought like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I, like, I felt like I want to have like nice clothes, but I, at the same time, like I haven't felt like I have to have a particular logo. Like I just got to go out there and fucking get the $90 polo shirt with the little horse on it or the fucking $120 jump man blank. You know, I, I don't. Right. And is it kind of something like that where you feel these things get put out there and people have to get them so that yeah. their identity can be filled as the whatever's associated with the brand that they have or the address or the car that they drive or the job that they possess? Yeah, that's the difference between defining yourself through the things that you're buying and just buying things because you enjoy them, right? You buy the thing that you enjoy regardless of what it says on it, what logo it has on it. Like fucking getting Starbucks just to be the person with the Starbucks cup. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. It's right? very true. That little white cup says a lot. God, I hate those motherfuckers. I hate them. I hate, now, I'm, I'll, I'll drink like Starbucks. I don't mind Starbucks or whatever. Um, but like the people who are like, oh, I have to get my frap up. Stop. Just fuck it. Yeah. Why? Why do you have to? Like that has to be you walking in with this symbol of. Yeah. Cor corporate sugar i don't i have to get this because i can't be me if i don't yeah right like that that does kind of fuck me up yeah so there's a difference between you know buying starbucks because you enjoy starbucks and buying starbucks so that people will see that you have starbucks do you think people are aware there some people do it to be seen with it like do you think it's intentional or do you think it just kind of happens i oh that's a good question well, i think to a degree it is intentional I feel like so, it would be way more intentional now with the with the focus on like branding and all the pictures yeah. we take of ourselves or I, I don't really take pictures of myself, but all the pictures that most people will like post of themselves. It's uh, I feel like people are overly self-conscious about their image and how they appear to people. Yeah, it's a very I mean, I think it stems a lot from insecurity, right? Mm. You do these things, you do these things and you buy these things. And you want as many people to see that as possible so that people will tell you that you're valuable. And it's just a, you know, it's, it's, 
it's sad. It's sad to see that because the value of a human obviously is far exceeds anything that you can purchase or or add to it. I, I use the comparison of like, you know, if you have an apple and you duct tape a pencil to the side of it, it's not more of an apple than it was before you attached the pencil to it, you know? If anything, <laughs> the, pen, the pencil was far better before it had duct tape and pencil stuck to it. <laughs> All, all I'm doing is fucking, what was that? It was like two years ago. I was like, I have a pen. I have a pineapple. <laughs> pineapple pen. Do you remember that? Uh, I do. That's brilliant. God, that was just fucking. Brilliant in its simplicity. No, dude, no doubt. No doubt. Um, But actually, and I just thought of this too, man. Did you go down that route? Because a lot of, and if I'm speaking out of turn here, um, feel free to correct me, but I think it would be a struggle as an artist to be like, I made this, nobody wants to buy it. I suck as an artist. And like yeah, having your identity, yeah. it, it almost seems like what you're talking about. Like th this thing is a part of me. And if it doesn't get purchased for a particular price, or if people don't find value in it, then like, I have no value. Did you yeah, go through that or? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I, for the first, I mean, I don't know what the time period would have been, but Renaissance, I, mostly Renaissance yeah. time period. <laughs> <laughs> mostly you know the first part of my career i guess i've been at it for about 10 years now and there is that that idea that if nobody's responding to your work nobody's buying it or you're not getting you know likes on facebook or whatever there you do attribute a certain amount of your value as an artist to that to that response and then the farther along i got and the and the more sort of a spiritual practice that it became i just sort of you know turned that sort of faucet of need off and then it just became about you know i make the work because it's my nature to make the work and if people respond to it that's great if they don't i don't really care because i get the same amount of enjoyment out of it either way got you huh what that's um... part of the letting go it's part of the letting go that's involved in making the work you know, the whole thing has become just a process of letting go of it and seeing what it does, really. Right. Uh, was there a particular moment, painting, comment, picture where you were like, man, fuck these people for not liking this shit. I don't need them. And like just found that um, that awakening. I think it would be more of like a, it happened more over time kind of a thing where it's just like, you go through a long dry period of nobody really responding at all and just be like, Oh, whatever, man, I don't care. I'm just going to make what I, I think there's a choice that you have to make if you're either, you're either going to start making things. And this is where I think, you know, you get into people where you call them a sellout, where you're just making things that you think are going to be popular instead of the work that you have. That's kind of intrinsic to who you are. So you make that, you make that choice. I think eventually it was, I think it was, one of the, there was an artist that said, I forget his name oh i wish i could he painted like like a lot of sports figures and stuff leroy neiman and he said as an artist you either hold out or you sell out and i think that's true you either chase the trends and try and make things that you think are going to be popular or you, you make things that are true to who you are as an artist and you know fuck whatever what's going to come from it <laughs> yeah man right do you um do you have favorite artists? Do you like study them or you're just kind of uh, you? I do. I do. Like I really love Salvador Dali, but I also love Da Vinci. There's a 
like Dolly's sort of he's like me where it's more of a free flowing experience I think although he's very technically sound and then there's Da Vinci who has like formulas on on how to make his art like the dimensions of the human face and stuff it's really interesting like the ratios of how far your eyes are apart it's, you know he breaks down different aspects of the human body so brilliantly and I think he was really the first guy to do that. And it's just, it's amazing to see that somebody could conceive of this. So there's, there's artists that I like at both ends of the spectrum. And then there's just like random, random stuff that you see. You know, Escher is another one that. Oh, that I forgot really, about Escher. That's a fucking mind. Yeah, that's trippy. Yeah. Those staircases. He's, he's one where I've up. done things. I've done things that I thought were like super cool and super original. And then I would, I was flipping through my a friend of mine's a bookbinder and he was he was rebinding an Escher like a volume of Escher works and there were things in there that I saw that I had done that I thought were so great that he had already <laughs> he had already attempted, you know, decades ago. Yeah, and so do so, you think you guys just shared the same conscious thought, or do you think you at some point in your life like saw it, tucked it away, and then it just came out? Or are you just uh, straight I, up coincidence? I, I don't know. I think it's more of being on the same sort of creative wavelength. Okay. I think, I mean, Escher is a brilliant, again, a brilliant surrealist. I mean, he's so, so kind of cerebral and the illusions that he creates. It's absolutely un unbelievable. I don't even know how a human being could come up with some of that stuff. But yeah, it's just, you know, you're temporarily on the same wavelength. And I see that a lot. You know, I'll see things that I've done and then, you know, you're looking through a book or flipping through Instagram, looking at different artists and you'll see, you know, they had a similar idea to what you had. And it's, you know, it's kind of cool. They don't hate on you. Like if you post a picture, some fucking troll out there is like, bitch, three years ago, I had this. <laughs> or does I, don't, that I, think, I, don't, I don't think I'm popular enough to have anybody. <laughs> <laughs> anybody hate me that much that'd be kind of cool actually but no <laughs> it's like artists get into a pissing contest about who was the first one to like whatever do the sun you know <laughs> yeah exactly like, you see that you see that in music sometimes where they'll be like you know some new band is ripped off some old band's rhythm or whatever and you listen to yeah. it and it sounds kind of similar but yeah. you know it's kind of they're pushing it to, to say that it's the same thing. And I think it's the same thing in yeah. visual art where you can make a lot of comparisons between a lot of different artists. And, you know, I think, I think at some point there's, you know, well, there are different, like each person is their own unique filter for the information. I think the actual ideas are not that original eventually. Yeah. I mean, there's gotta be some real basic, almost like universal themes in life, right? Like, like, like take whatever life is suffering, treat others how you want to be treated. Like yeah. real basic concepts that I think regardless of when you've lived, you've experienced it. Yeah, exactly. Some things that Love. are just sort of, yeah, Heartbreak. they're just, Death. they're just inherent to being a human being, right? Yeah. I wonder, you know, something about art, and I hadn't, I didn't know that about Da Vinci that he went all in on like trying to do mathematical formulas to break down something so creative. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, in my head, I started thinking like, did he do that so that he could own the copyrights? Because so like anyone who drew a hand to his like proportions is like, nope, that's my creative 
art that's my creative or what intellectual property and now i have rights to it or do you think he just liked right. teaching people so much where it was like he wanted people to discover or to be able to do this very unique thing oh that's a good question i mean i i would hope that it's the second one but he was he was an inventor so you never know that could certainly have entered into it yeah because what made me think of it was the musical stuff and you do man you could like produce some music that you don't realize you're like biting somebody's style but then you have to be like well how many beats how, what's the rhythmic measure and what's the range that you're allowed to be in how close is too close to art right like to, to creativity yeah like how do you yeah, prove that absolutely. in a court I, I, so i don't know i was yeah, it's such a, like, creativity in and of itself is so abstract. You'd think it would be almost impossible to prove that out. Right. Unless it's, you know, unless it's, like, really on the nose, then I yeah. guess you could, but. I apparently fucking Robin Thicke. And what was that song? Right. Do you remember? Like, that was a right. bunch of shit. They stole it from, who they steal? Stole it from Marvin Gaye yeah, or something like Marvin. that. I still don't remember what the original Marvin Gaye one was, but, like, the Robin Thicke one just fucking pops in my head all the time. Right. Uh, and you're like, you fucking thief. Yeah, um, but at the same time, like, why is that wrong? Why, why can't he bring the notoriety to himself or whatever and back to your music? Yeah, and who knows? You know, who knows if he had heard that Marvin Gaye song before or not? Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Do you think? Um, so, how would you feel about that if someone took one of your pictures off of Instagram and somehow made money off of it without you making money from it? Uh, it's funny. I talked to another artist about that a while ago at a market that I was doing. And I don't know. I, I think it would depend. It would depend on their intent. What they were doing with it. If it was something that was like, it was something that didn't necessarily correspond with what my intention for the work was, then I would be, I think I'd probably be pretty pissed about it either way. If somebody just out and out stole something that I made and profited off of it. Yeah, right. Yeah, because I would think you'd have a right to it. But at the, that's gotta be tough, man. Social media era, because you're constantly posting your shit, and there could yeah, be it's... someone, someone just like, oh man, that'd be great for my podcast logo. Let me screenshot. Yeah. I'm gonna edit it up a little bit, and it's mine now. You know, and it's definitely a consideration. I think every time I post something online, there's sort of like that little voice in the back of my head saying you know what you're putting it out there <laughs> right it could you know it could end up on t-shirts in thailand or something you know yeah there's, no to, there's nothing really you can there's no recourse really oh dude that's a great it's point i'm gonna put all your shit on t-shirts yeah i've heard of, of accounts before of artists having their work used in advertising and stuff where they have not given authority for the person that's using it to do that end up in a lawsuit or whatever yeah like what would make it worth it for you you would just have to hate the company or like do you have a lawyer on retainer that you're able to just tell hey man send this person a cease and desist yeah and that's a that's a problem for artists too is they don't have the funds to back up taking somebody to court you know so there's there's not a lot you can do like i if i wanted to sue nike or something they would have no trouble just like you know, dragging it out until I couldn't afford to fight it anymore. Which unfortunately has happened. Yeah. Not to me personally, but. Oh yeah. Dude, I'm sure, man. Like you just hear about that, um, th those big corporations and you've seen them in movies. I'm sure it's drama, um, dramatized a little bit, but just people fighting larger companies for retribution 
and not being able to get it and lawyers just having to go all in on hopefully we win and then I'll get something back because yeah, the person exactly. on their own has no I chance. think that, you know, in this day and age, now we have the sort of the court of social media that you can, you can try and use to, to sort of win your case in the court of public opinion, which is, which is nice. It's something that you wouldn't have had, you know, even 15, 20 years ago to have that avenue to be like, you know what, this is wrong. Right. I'm going to tell as many people about it as I possibly can. So that's nice. Yeah, I wonder what people who made justice feel about that. <laughs> like yeah. justice comes at a price. Like yeah. who, who's just like, no, stupid, you got it wrong. You know, it was supposed to be equitable. Yeah, no doubt. God. What have you been uh, sketching? What's pop, or I'm assuming you're sketching? Uh, right now I'm staring at a blank page waiting for it to tell me what to sketch. Oh, there's, but the last one I did, the last one I did was on a dime with a dime and there's a couple of fish in there and people can see that on everything. I post everything I do on Instagram so people can see gotcha. what it is I'm doing. I actually thought you were sketching while we were speaking. I kept hearing what I thought were like, a. Oh, really? Yeah. It might just be the microphone rubbing against my beard. I don't know. Uh, okay. That was it. Oh man. <laughs> I shouldn't have said anything. It would have been the illusion. It is because right. it sounds like every we time we could have played that up, man. Oh Jesus! Something and been like, I do this live. Fucking blew it, blew it. Damn I, it, Sean. Um, have you done that? Have you done like a live where you just go, you hit live and go through the process and post that? Uh, no, I've taken you know like little short snippets of videos of me, like while I'm sketching or painting, just a little you know ten seconds at a time kind of a thing. But I've never actually done a live online session maybe that's something to consider yeah because i wonder what it would you know like the comments pop up and fucking like i'm i'm pretty uh i'm into sports so i'll uh see highlights of like athletes doing these like ig lives where they're responding to people and the questions just keep bubbling it'd be kind of cool if you had an ig live where like different topics just got thrown out and like when one hit you just start with it, and then when you feel it's run its course, grab like another one, almost like a, a surrealist Mad Lib, oh, where you're I like just that. where you're just like pulling shit and seeing what's produced on it. That is a great idea, my friend. That is a great idea. Yeah. And here I have an empty page right now, staring me in the face. Yeah, right. And so you're brilliant. Are you four hours behind us? Like, is it ten o'clock over there? Uh, I'm two hours behind you. Okay, so it's oh yeah, the day is young. There it is. Yeah. The day is young. The day doesn't even exist, man. The day is oh. just a concept. Yeah, I was going to say, so then you have to be one of those, like, time, fuck time guys, right? Exactly. Fuck yeah. time, there is no time. So you don't do you, you don't go to bed at, like, 10 every night? You don't set an alarm clock to wake up? Uh, No. No, I don't. I usually wake up at, like, 7 o'clock-ish. Gotcha. 7, 7.30. The freedom. The freedom you have, man. God, make, make a bunch of people move to Canada. That's right. We got lots of room up here. Most of it's frozen, but throw up a tent or something, I guess. I don't know. What's the uh, most you've made on a piece of art? So 40 grand for a flipped house. What? Um... <laughs> Not 40 grand. I believe the, the current top price for a Jared Champagne is five grand. No way, dude. You've made five grand off of one painting. Yeah. How big was that fucker? That was a good day. It was uh, it was four feet tall and five feet wide. Whoa. 
And what, like, what was it? What was the theme or the story behind it? Uh, the story, I painted that fairly early on. It was right after I got my first studio. And it was sort of based on the trip that I took every day from my house on the train to my studio and back. Just sort of pulling elements of the things that I saw with the train window, basically, and shaping it into a kind of an austere painting, very simple. Why'd you make it so big? Or did you have like a small sketch and somebody was like, hey, take that small sketch and now expand it to this four by five? It seems to me at the time, I just wanted to make something that was massive. because I'd never really made anything that big before. It was all kind of, you know, two feet by three feet kind of a thing. Right. It was my standard size. So I wanted to really balloon it out a bit. And then probably about two years ago now, I did another one that was 11 feet long and five feet tall. Holy shit. And that was probably too big. <laughs> yeah, was it like a snake eating a man? Uh, no, that sounds pretty cool, but no. It was like sort of a... <laughs> copyright, copyright. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> two days from now, I'm going to have a drawing on Instagram of a snake eating a man. Yeah, right? In two and a half, you'll get that fucking notice, you dick. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so the, big, the, the last big piece I did was... I don't even remember what the hell. It was about sort of, I think it was like, I think it was about your sort of your subconscious mind. And it was kind of going into this imagery of just like pure energy and then forming into actual forms and stuff. Oh. It was really weird. Gotcha. The more I look at it, the more incoherent it seems it was. Yeah, well, that's a lot of space for fucking subconscious to fill, right? Like it was you, too you, much space, yeah. man. Way too much space. You're getting fucking deep and subconscious is random as fuck to begin with. So like... Yeah, if I was gonna do a piece that big again, it would have to, I would have to take like two years to actually fill out the canvas. You know what would actually be neat, dude? Here, all right, here's your next project, man. I need you to get right on this, okay? All right. So I've noticed people like who have taken like selfies of themselves over like a year or 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 twenty years or whatever, right? Right. What if you did? What if you fucking had like your life timeline and like every month you're just adding a fucking whatever a two by three canvas to what you're going through and it just wraps and like that's your subconscious or that's your surrealist timeline of life that is pretty interesting but i'm far too lazy to, <laughs> to execute something like that something of that magnitude with that kind of focus man yeah I get, i'm just like picturing a studio just fucking like block by block filling up and i'm like man that that's be... a really cool idea though right if you could remember you know, starting with your earliest memory and then sort of filling it all out. Yeah. That would be sort of like a subconscious, take that to your therapist and say, here it all is, doc. No doubt. And then they actually have to prove that they're a fucking doctor more than a fraud. That's right. Let's see if you actually know what this is all about, man. No doubt. God. Um, who were the people that bought the 4 by 5 uh, that was the guy I was telling you about in the Fichois de Vie. Oh, really? Yeah. How'd they come across it? Did they drive to you specifically for it, or you were at a show? Uh, it was at a market. It was at a market, and I was I was doing live painting at the market, and I had like prints of some drawings that I had done previous to that. And they first bought a drawing, and then... You know, we sort of got to talking after that, and they said, what do you have 
available kind of a thing. And so I showed them and then we sort of went back and forth for a while and then they decided they wanted that one. Back and forth on the price or back and forth is just like talking about it. Talking about it and on price a little bit too. Okay. Yeah. yeah. How much, how much of that selling comes down to the people like wanting you <laughs> more so than the art? I think, I think if an artist can engage with people as much as possible, that it definitely helps. If you can, if you can, if, if people can see the person that made the thing that they're interested in, you know, I guess depending on that, if you're a really terrible person, I guess it would be horrible for you to be out there talking to people. But if you're, you know, if you're a likable <laughs> enough guy, <laughs> then people will connect with you, I think. Yeah. What did they um, want the piece of art for? Uh, they wanted to put it on their wall and look at it. No, I guess like, <laughs> so like, was it like the um, dining room accent? Was it like hanging over their bed frame? Was it like a hallway piece? Did it tie their safari room together like what was the i think it was i think it was like a main piece it was so big obviously it takes up a lot of room so it was kind yeah. of the main piece in their in their collection at the time anyways so you've been the center of hundreds of cocktail parties and dinner conversations like that's their conversation piece when they invite <laughs> people over man how does that Gee, feel I never, I never really thought of it until this very moment your spirit but that's pretty cool man yeah, right. That's, I mean, that sort of speaks to, you know, how how one piece of art can touch a lot of different lives. I think of that more with music than visual art, but, yeah. you know, you can touch lives all around. Especially now, again, with social media, you know, you put it on there and people can see it all over the... I have a little WordPress site that I put stuff on and you can show like a map of where people are looking at it. And I think that's just the coolest thing to see people in like, you know... Azerbaijan looking at your work is kind of nice. oh, dude, no shit. I got three people. Shout out to my three listeners in France. I'm like, who the yeah. fuck are you? How did that happen? How did one person get this in Russia? Is, is like Viva a spy? Was it a bot? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you right. wonder, but it is, dude. Like you can the way you can track shit and who's interacting with it now does get it. It's it's neat. You you it's wonder. Pretty cool, yeah. You wonder, man. All right, Jared, is there anything else that we should know about you um, so that you cannot say I have framed artists as socially awkward isolationists who are after nothing but money? It's too late, man. It's too late. You got you summed it up perfectly with that statement. Let me, dude, actually, you know what? That made me think. So what was the um, one painting where you were like, fuck, all right, I'll just give it to you at that price. Have you had one of those? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it didn't have anything to do with the artwork itself as much as it did to do with how broke I was at the time. Oh, no way. I was like, whatever, man, whatever. <laughs> if that's what you want to buy it for, then it's all yours. Oh, do you want to now say? I can have chicken instead of craft dinner. Um, how much of a hit did you take on it or how much did you drop from like your ideal? Oh, I don't. I can't really remember. I think I was asking like fifteen hundred bucks, and I dropped down to under a thousand. Oh, yeah. But when you're broke, you got to do what you got to do. You know. No doubt. How do you actually? I'm sorry. How do you come up with the price? I, I was gonna end it, but now I'm like, now my mind's going on that again. Like, is it a market thing? Do you establish I'm worth this? Do you look at like Amazon or other online shopping places uh, and say, hey, they're selling this stuff for this much? 
You know what? It's really hard when you first start out. And there's a, you know, you can ask that question to a thousand different artists and get a thousand different answers. So it's really hard when you first start out <laughs> to price your work. Like I said, it's so abstracted. There's no, there's no telling what a person is going to pay for a piece of art. I mean, the piece of art itself, as far as the costs go to me, is like 50 bucks or something, right? So how do you then ascribe a price tag of $1,500 to that? Yeah. But, I mean, people are paying for the idea, right? They're paying for the thing that they've connected with. And so I've, you know, I've, I've just kind of, you know, you throw a dart at the, <laughs> at the price list and you, you, you throw it up for sale and if somebody buys it, then now you have some sort of a foundation to say, this is what my art is worth, I guess. Do you, so but, if somebody comes up and they're like, oh my God, it's just $1,500, do you kick yourself? And you're like, fuck man, I knew it should have been like 25. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, is when I, I had like a little studio and it was a gallery too, so people could come in and hang out and look around. And I, you'd have people come in and say, wow, this is really reasonably priced. And then you'd have somebody else come in and be like, holy fuck, $3,000 for a painting. Are you crazy? Right. Has anybody actually bought one of these before? So, <laughs> well, yeah, man, really my depends. mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really it depends on the person who's who's looking at it, right? Who sees the value. And, you know, if, if people are fairly well-versed in the price of art to begin with, then they have a better idea of what is worth what. Well, yeah, I guess that's true, right? Like the sticker shock versus knowing the what the whatever the market is. Right, because the yeah, more you're exactly, exposed right. to it, and you're like, okay, that's some quality stuff, or oh, I haven't really seen that before. Yeah, yeah, huh. and you can—I mean, you can tell, you can tell when somebody just splashed some canvas or some paint on a canvas, and you know they've taken two hours to make something, or when somebody's really put a lot of themselves into something and they've spent a month working on a piece trying to get it exactly as they want it to be. It's not—it's not—it's not really that hard to tell the difference. I mean, frankly. You know, this is probably offensive to a few artists, but some art is just bullshit. You know, it's just complete nonsense and bullshit and people trying to make money. I was literally about to ask you, who are the artists that you hate? Name them now. No, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But like, that's, that's interesting. Like, is there a little um, artsy rivalry? Like, do you see people at the market and you're just like, oh, this motherfucker, Tim. Jesus, Tim, stop. <laughs> stop with the frogs, Tim. It's played out. <laughs> well, I would never, I would never just like call somebody out like that. Cause I mean, I, I think it. No, I don't mean by name, but I mean like. Being an elitist. Yeah, for sure. It's making you an elitist. <laughs> it yeah. absolutely would be. But are I'm you like, asking me, are there artists out there that I'm better at than? Because the answer is yes. <laughs> yes, I am. There you go. That's why it's fucking, <laughs> that's why it's five grand, bitch. Yeah, I, I, watched, I watched this, uh, there was a documentary, I forget what it's called, but it was sort of like how they price art and it was, they were talking to collectors and gallery owners and auction people and you just, it just like, it just reeked with superficiality and these people just making up bullshit about this art that is really not very valuable and they're, you know, they're chalking it up and selling it for $30 million or whatever. And even one of the artists on there was like, this is, this is not right. My art should not be selling for the cost of somebody's oh, house. You know, dude, I was reading. Um, and I, um, fuck, there was an art and I'm not gonna be able to remember their name. I'm going to butcher it, but I thought there was some, it might've been in France. It might've been Monet and maybe you'll know. Um, but anyway, 
like was working their whole life to get their art into this particular gallery. And they thought like that meant that they were a real artist when they got their art hung in this gallery because like all the people, the who's who's go to this gallery and view this art. And they finally get it hung there and it gets hung in a place where the who's who's can't really see it. And then they start to notice that like not a lot of people actually get to see it because see it because elitists by definition are elite. They're not common. So then they take all their art and they just fucking open up a shop and just let anyone come see it. Anyone come get it. And they were like, um, I swear to God, it was a classical artist, man. And I don't even remember the book that I was, it might've been a Malcolm Gladwell book. I believe a fellow Canadian. Um, um, yeah, I think it was in one of his books about just how people want maybe appreciation and like going for that goal of making it isn't as almost like what you were saying, dude, isn't as fulfilling. Like you've created art to be seen now by making it, you're making it harder to be seen. Exactly. And that's sort of the, the thing that I struggle with is, you know, I really don't, I just don't jive with that contemporary art world of galleries and, and all that type of stuff. So how do you get your art out there to as many people as you possibly can? What do you mean you don't jive with the um, gallery world? I just, like you say, or like I said, I guess it's a, it's in a very elite group of people that actually have access to that i mean anybody can go into a gallery and look around but few people can afford to buy it and then if somebody does buy it it's kind of it's off in a private collection somewhere where nobody can you know one guy is going to look at it for the rest of his life type of thing so there there are artists in that documentary actually i was talking about that would rather have had their work go into a museum where it will be there you know for the foreseeable future and as many people can get through that museum and see that work and be impacted as possible, right? Gotcha. Possible. Got you, got you. Interesting. Which is the nice thing about, you know, the advent of technology is you can get it out to a lot of people. The flip side of that is it just becomes white noise. So yeah, there's so much shit out there. That's so true. You got to be good, man. You got to be good. Yeah, I. So like, I I'd forgotten about Escher, but like, if my life depended on it, I don't know if I could name a third aside from Jared, of course, a third, like, big-time surrealist. There are not a lot of super famous surrealists. Did you ever tell me how you got into surrealism? I probably cut you off, knowing my uh, assertive ass. Uh, I don't think you ever asked me. Yeah, how right? How dare you? How no, dare you, good I'm, sir? N- right? Like, you're a fucking surrealist artist. Because you were telling about the sneaker painting being your first thing, but, like, what got you? what got you into surrealism? Well, I think it's just sort of my my nature. Like I can remember, I can remember when I was in high school, I was drawing a portrait of like it was like Gretzky or somebody, some famous for Tiger Woods or something like that. And my art teacher came by and she's like, "Yeah, there's a very cartoonish quality to your work." And I was like super insulted because I'm trying to be like this realist masterpiece, right? Tiger Woods, and then looking back now i could see that everything i was doing did have that sort of cartoonish element to it and so i think it just sort of that that style of working is just it just sort of lends itself to to the craziness of surrealism so it wasn't that you went to surreal it was that the surreal came out of you yeah exactly i already was i already was like a a weirdo to begin with so you know (laughs) 
Gotcha. It just manifested itself on a canvas now instead of in my personality. Gotcha. Interesting. Huh. <laughs> yeah, I bet when I go back to edit, um, you were telling that first story about you and the sneakers, and I probably was in my head thinking like, okay, yeah, man, let me ask about like how he got into surrealism and then whatever. Yeah, so you can just cut this part out and then flip it into that space and then you're good to go. <laughs> nah, not It'll at all. It'll all flow, man. <laughs> yeah, actually not at all. It's funny, like um, I've had a couple people ask me about that and it's like I just kind of let the shit – play see what happens and I almost try to look at it like if somebody's doing whatever and they just want to get to know about someone's life on a topic or whatnot that they might not have experience on like they can hit play and just fucking hear right. hear about it you know it's not like um i guess it would be like selling out like not like trying to pick clips in order to uh highlight you know right right just letting it flow, man. Letting it flow. Yeah, it's it's my subconscious surrealist. Yeah, would you would you yeah. should I market this as a surrealist podcast? Not yours in particular, but just mine, since it is just a fucking free flow of wherever it goes. Would that meet the criteria? I don't know. To be honest with you, I don't know that there really is a defined criteria for surrealism. It is kind of surreal. Huh. Just that stream of consciousness, right? Yeah, right. That's what I was wondering. All right, well, Boom, I think you could do that without any repercussions. No, there's not like some like board, a surreal board somewhere <laughs> or some like um, certification well, company that's going to be like, man, you are not. If you'll remember from earlier in our conversation, I am art. I am as art. We discussed, so God. I have the final say so on what is surrealism and what is not. You, you have to immediately throw out all your wardrobes. And just get like 30 different like white t-shirts and get that put on there. And that's all you painted for the rest of your life, dude. It's straight I am oh art. Oh my god, that's an amazing idea. And, and then on the back, and then on the back when you do it in public, it just says, yeah, bitch, I said it. <laughs> I am definitely going to have at least one of those t-shirts made. I love it. I love it. That's great. All right, man. All right, dude. Well, Jared, man, I really, um, I actually, hopefully, I've, I'll do this sometimes where I'll try to like end and then I think of something else and then we get into like another 20 minute conversation. But <laughs> I definitely, I'm on a um, time crunch for my end at three o'clock. I got something to do. So dude, I really appreciate you uh, coming on, man, giving up your time um, to let people get to know you, man. It was super interesting to hear about well, your art journey. Well, thank you very much for having me on, man. I appreciate it. And I hope that you can somehow string together two or three minutes of something that is even remotely coherent out of all of this time. Oh no, dude, we're at an hour 40. This bitch is a hundred minutes and it'll probably go up. I do like a stupid little intro thing. Um, hoping for some sponsors. <laughs> so I write cool. like, I write like stupid ass. Um, like one, I think your show is going to be sponsored by, um, mugs. And I just go into this like one minute stupid oversell of mugs. I think I did screwdrivers right, right. at one point, fucking spoon shoelaces i think might have hit <laughs> like i just picked street, awesome. street signs See, that's, today's that's surrealism right there yeah I, maybe it is right like today's show was sponsored by mugs you know and i like <laughs> start like shitting on water bottles and how terrible they are and like you know I, like, that's whatever. hilarious man. But, that's so if i ever get a real sponsor i just want like the ad time like linkedin right right yeah um, yeah of course all right but yeah dude I, I don't see i don't even remember how i fucking got on that jesus oh when you were talking about editing no nah, i just I'll let the bitch roll. It goes up as it is, you know? Right on, man. Hopefully it makes well, people more trusting. You know, they won't think I'm trying to, like, get them by editing stuff that they didn't yeah. say out or whatever. Authenticity is key, man. Authenticity is key. Yeah, right? I think so. 
All right, there I was saying I wasn't going to go on, and I kept going on after I said goodbye. I'm a fucking liar. <laughs> All right, Jared. Well, thanks again, man, for coming on. I appreciate it. I appreciate it too, Sean. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. And Bye. I've now become an expert on the subject I like most. Getting to know. I'd like to thank Jared, or who I actually thought said his name as Gerard at first when I got to know him. Appreciate him opening up, uh, giving us a little insight to his creative process and uh, just letting us get to know him, man. He's a really interesting guy. Big shout out to Knock Knock Jokes. Um, just randomly try one, man. Like you're at the drive-thru, uh, picking up a to-go order. Just hit someone with a knock knock. Open up the fun. Uh, follow, friend, subscribe. Listen, we really appreciate the support here at the Get to Know You podcast. And I can't tell you, it has been awesome getting to know all these fine folks that I have been. Um, hopefully, we'll get to know you too. Bye. <laughs>